Hi, it's Guy here. Hope you're well. Hope you're enjoying doing whatever you're doing uh, while you're listening to this. Uh, really appreciate you downloading or streaming or listening to this, however you're doing it. Uh, really appreciate everyone who's listened so far. No, nearly 35,000 listens and downloads to the podcast. Uh, fantastic numbers, about 34,900 more than I thought we'd ever have. So <laughs> really pleased about that. Thank you if you're listening now. Thank you if you've listened to any uh, episodes in the past. And a big thank you if you ever feel the need or the desire to uh, recommend this to anyone else. Um, it's coming up to a year now since the podcast was launched. It's going really well. I'd love to carry it on. Um, and it's just swelling those uh, listener numbers, which will help. And if you feel like you can share this with anyone, please do. Also, if you want to get in touch, let me know what you think of the podcast. I'd love to hear from you. Creative forcespod at gmail.com is the uh is the email address or uh use twitter at creative forces p we've also got a facebook page but yeah do let me know if you've got any thoughts about the podcast any uh things you want to tell me about it uh let me know creative forces pod at gmail.com Anyway, this episode, it's all about Diane Brown. She's the founder and president of RX Art. Now, that's a non-profit organization which installs contemporary artwork in hospitals, particularly hospitals that treat children. Um, she's a big believer in the power of the healing power of art, uh, particularly uh, for kids. It's a fascinating idea. Uh, and she's done. She made it a huge success since, since she started the, uh, the organization nearly 20 years ago. Now, she's based in New York now, but Diane grew up in Ohio, and she originally started out in medicine uh, before she pursued her lifelong passion for art. She ran galleries in Washington and New York before she set up RX Art. And this, in this really interesting and revealing interview, Diane explains why art has affected her so much in her life and work, why she's so passionate about it, why she switched career from medicine. And why she believes artworks have the power to affect real change in people's health and well-being. So I wanted to um, ask you later about uh, RX Art and about the the way that you incorporate um, artworks into public places or places like hospitals. Uh, but I wanted to talk to you first of all, or ask you first of all about how you got into art, because for many people like me who aren't involved in the art world. It can seem quite a mysterious place. So tell me about how you first got into the art world or what was your first opportunity that you took to get into the art world and how that came about. I was a pre-med major in college. I'd had one art history course. Um, I loved I loved art history. I, I loved art. I mean, I grew up in a family with no music and no art. And those are the two things that really feed me. Um so I, I was studying, well, I was studying chemistry biology. I graduated college as a pre-med major, got married immediately, and my husband was in graduate school, so I had to get a job. Hmm. I worked in cancer research, which was really terrible. I, I'm still very much an idealist. I always was. And I worked for actually a man who I shouldn't probably say this, who won the Nobel Prize for the mm. work we did in the lab. And he didn't care anything about about helping people. I mean, he cared about the Nobel Prize. I mean, I get that it's pretty important. <laughs> um, but there, I was sitting at a microscope early one morning, and some guy came in to change the CO2 tanks just to 
you know, maintenance guy. Hmm. And he said, um, keep doing what you're doing because we found out that my brother has cancer and all our hope is with people like you. And it just broke my heart hmm. because I, I felt that all we were doing was working for a prize. And granted, there was research going on, but I mean, it, it wasn't the passion to, to help people. Hmm. So did you become disillusioned with the whole thing? Fairly, I was very disillusioned, soon. and I was miserable. I worked seven days a week because I had to go in every day just to make sure the cells I was working on mm. were happy and okay and changing this the baths that they were in. And I, re- and I said to myself at that point that I was never going to do anything again mm. that made me so unhappy, that there wasn't enough money in the world, not that this was a good-paying job, mm. but to be unhappy in what you do. Why was it you were studying medicine in the first place? What what drove you to to go down that path? Um, it was my dad. <laughs> my father wanted me to be a doctor. He wanted me to be a doctor. He wanted me to be a mother. He wanted me to be a wife. Um, he made me study shorthand and typing. I think he didn't know what he wanted me to be, but he wanted me to be very well prepared to be everything. <laughs> and what did he do? I, he was a businessman. He um, had a a very successful lumber lumber yard and a construction company. And um, yeah, he he was successful, but he but he wasn't educated. He wanted his daughters to be well educated, and he wanted us to have a profession so that we could always take care of ourselves. But please, don't have to take care of yourself. You want a man to take care of you. <laughs> so quite so, an old I mean, fashioned view. Very much so. Very mm. much so. And so where was this? Where was this that you grew up then? I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. I went to school at the University of Wisconsin, um, got married right out of school. My husband was in graduate school, as I said. Mm. When he got a job and we moved to, well, we moved, my father used to buy me off to stay as a pre-med major Mm. by sending me to Aspen to think about whether I really wanted to change majors. And (laughs) Neither one of us were fooled. It was a bribe. It was fine. (laughs) I was very happy to ski. Mm. Um, And when my husband was looking for a job, he had two options. He had job offers in Colorado and in Washington, D.C. And I said, well, if you take the job in Colorado, I'm going to be a ski instructor. (laughs) If you take the job in Washington, D.C., I'm going to be a gallerist. Meanwhile, I've only had this one art history course, so mm. not a lot of preparation. He took the the um, the job in Washington D.C., <laughs> and I said, "Okay, you're what you want to be now." I mean, I'd supported him while he went to graduate school. Mm. Now I'm going to be what I want to be. And um, I went back to school in art history. I was already 24. I mean, my God, I was so old, <laughs> and I was in a real hurry. I had a child, I, um, I, and I wanted to be this gallerist. Mm. And I, I had to, of course, start pretty from scratch because I'd only had one introductory course, and I wanted to get in the master's program. Um, and I, was, I just felt like I wasn't learning how to think or look critically. Mm. So I quit school after a semester and started using the time that I had my babysitter um, to go look at art galleries and museums. The money I was spending on tuition, I spent on books and journals. And I just started looking and and looking really seriously and reading everything I could read about contemporary art. 
I really think that that's the way you develop an eye is you just keep looking and looking. Mm. I mean, you can be taught how to think critically, but you can't be taught how to well, yeah, maybe you can be taught how to look, but that's what that's what I did. I kept looking. But how did you know at that early stage, for just from doing that one course or that one elective course, that being a gallerist was what you wanted to be? <laughs> I don't. I don't know, guy. I mean, I always just get this idea, and I go a hundred miles an hour in that direction. So, so that's what I decided to do. Um, and I loved it. I had a gallery for 16 years. I loved it. I, I never thought I would stop. Um, mm. And did you but, set that up yourself or was that working for someone else? No, no. I, well, I started working for someone else. My first job, when we moved to Washington, D.C., and I had dropped out of school, mm. I got a job doing conservation. I knew nothing about conservation. I stressed my chemical background. And somehow, somehow, the guy gave me a job <laughs> doing restoration of paintings. And um, really, I mean, I was learning on, on the spot. And when I look at conservation labs now, I just shudder to think what I was doing. But, um, but that's how I started. In what way? What were and, you doing? You say you shudder to think now. What, well, were, what were you doing? I mean, I was doing in painting. I didn't know much about it. I was... I was relining paintings, and my boss taught me how to reline paintings, but we were doing it with an iron. <laughs> I mean, maybe they did this a long time ago, but now I look at vacuum tables and this really state-of-the-art, fabulous work that's being done in yeah. professional conservation labs, and I'm horrified by the work that I was doing. So when you say realignment, what is that? Is that actually physically the painting and... Yeah, if a painting is cracking or right. it's torn, you put a new lining on the back. Okay. So, it's, yeah, restoring it to, to be able to then, yeah. to then show it again. Exactly. So I was restoring paintings. Um, and while And I had this little restoration room in a gallery that had 18th and 19th century paintings. I mean, I was really passionate about contemporary art, but this was a job I got. And people would come into this room because my boss would often leave me alone in the gallery while he went out to do other things. <laughs> and I was in my little back room painting or doing whatever. And people would come in and ask me questions about these paintings that I wasn't particularly interested in. But I would always try to think of something that was interesting and true to say about these paintings. <laughs> and I started selling them. And that was really fun. And so I said to my boss, just think if I really liked the art, how much I could sell. Mm. So, so you found that you, you had an aptitude for the selling side of it. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun talking to people. I like people. Um, so, And I loved talking about the art, even if it wasn't something I really knew much about. Mm. I was learning. But I said, let's, let's sell some contemporary art. So he started a, another gallery, a print gallery of contemporary art. And I was the manager of that. Um, that was fine, but I had a lot of ideas, and I couldn't put my ideas into uh, practice because it wasn't my money. Mm. <clears throat> so ultimately, I, I quit my job. I actually bought two pictures. I was with my husband on a, on a holiday, and I, while well, he was doing something professional, I don't know, he was at a meeting or something, <laughs> I went into a gallery and I saw this Calder and I had a one-year-old daughter and I was 
feeling very guilty for having left her with my mother. Um, and I thought, oh, I'm going to buy her a calder. They're bright colors. will be good for babies. Mm. And so I, I um, told the guy who was selling this 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 print, I'm going to have a gallery one day, and I'd like to buy this. <laughs> and he said, well, why don't you go across the street and tell them you do have a gallery, and you can get it for half price. Mm. Clearly, this guy wasn't the owner of the <laughs> gallery he was working in. So I went across the street, and I said, which was the publisher of these prints, I said, yes, I have a gallery in Washington, D.C., and I'd like to buy this print. And he said, what's the name of your gallery? <laughs> he said, uh, Diane Brown Gallery. <laughs> And so he, he said, okay. And so I thought, well, I was going to buy one, but I'm getting it for half price, so I'll buy two. Mm. So I bought two of this print, one for my daughter and one I sold. And when I sold the one, I bought two more pictures. <laughs> and after a very short time, I thought, well, I don't have to really buy the art. I can get it consigned to me. So I started selling art out of my house. <laughs> My daughter still has this Calder, so um, it's a really nice picture, but it's nice. very much the way I started. And a nice memory of how you got started. Just just yes. to rewind slightly, you, you mentioned when you were, um, you know, when you were studying medicine and your your father successfully bribed you not to change major. Were you trying then, did you want at that stage to, to change from studying medicine to doing, to studying art history? Yes. Yeah, I mean, I thought chemistry and biology were fine. I was a good student in high school. In college, I was at the University of Wisconsin, and I would say I more majored in protest than in science. What, what were you protesting I, about? It was the late 60s. It mm. was the Vietnam War. Okay. So I was out marching all the time. <laughs> I came home one day from a big day of marching in the freezing cold and everybody had been given placards and I threw mine down on the floor in my apartment and my roommate looked at it and said, hmm, it seems like somebody should have been in school instead of out striking. <laughs> it was misspelled. <laughs> oh, striking, okay, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I mean, I, I, didn't, I didn't want to study science. I wanted to study art history. And how do you, like thought about doing art when you were at school were you interested in art were you interested in painting or where did that really start sort of forming in your mind as something you wanted to do or was it as just from seeing the opportunity of doing that course at university no I think it started when I was younger but it's interesting because I mean really my family just we didn't go to museums mm. and when I was 16 and I was given a car I wasn't allowed to go to the art museum in Cleveland where I was from because it was in a bad neighborhood. Mm. And on Saturday mornings, I used to go to the museum. I would sneak to the museum. Oh, my goodness, if my kids would sneak to a museum, right? <laughs> yeah. So um, my dad would say in the afternoon, so, baby, what did you do today? And I would say, oh, I was at the the manors. It's like a hamburger joint in the parking lot with the kids in the morning mm. and then I came home and did homework and he said oh nice <laughs> I mean in a parking lot hanging out oh nice <laughs> but I was at a museum <laughs> forbidden <laughs> so what were you looking at, at that stage what was the museum the Cleveland Museum of Art is, mm. is, is is incredible I mean it's got a great impressionist collection it's got a fantastic um Asian art collection uh it's it's just a really brilliant museum i was looking at everything hmm. 
And what what just, was it that drew you to it at that stage? Were you interested in painting yourself, or was it more no the actual? No, no, I never wanted to make art. I okay. never wanted to make art. I um, took one course in college. After well, it wasn't in college. After I was married, when I was living in Madison, Wisconsin, and I was so unhappy doing cancer research, mm. I took a class in drawing at night, and it was on Wednesday nights. And if you took if you missed three classes, you were out. And we were drawing bottles. <laughs> and the professor would come behind everybody's easel every night and comment. And the only thing he ever said to me was, hmm, no. <laughs> so after a couple of weeks, I was really discouraged. So I started coming home from work on Wednesdays and cooking elaborate meals. And oh, darn, I miss class again. <laughs> So I finally missed three classes and was safely out. But I, I yeah, I, I don't want to make art. I have really high standards for art, um, and I don't want to be bad. <laughs> <laughs> so was that then, were there other ambitions when you were at school, or was it really you were just focused on going down this route of medicine? I, I wasn't focused on medicine. My father was focused on medicine. I mean, <laughs> okay. that's what I was studying, but mm. I... Um, I really wanted to learn about art. Mm. I don't know. I just, I, it struck a chord in me that um, nothing else touched me like that. Do you remember what the first sort of piece was that really opened your eyes, if you like, and, and you thought, this is what I would love to do more of, find out more about? Well, when I, when I was in Madison, Wisconsin, I used to go to Chicago every now and then for to look to go to the art institute to you know just for whatever to go to a city and there was a painting by picasso in the art institute the head of the acrobat's wife that i returned to over and over and over again it was from his blue period and it was just i mean i still think about that painting i was interested in art before that but that just that touched me probably more than anything had up to that point what was it about that painting it was really haunting. I mean, it was, it's from his blue period. It was, it's a portrait of a woman, um, just the bust, you know, from, and, mm. and she has no eyelashes. Okay. <laughs> funny. But I mean, it makes her eyes look incredible. I couldn't figure out for a while, what was it about her eyes, but there's no lashes. It's just, I don't know. It's a, it's a really incredibly haunting and fabulous picture. And so you, yeah, so then that, those experiences that you just really were interested in the, how art was made and, and how it was then exhibited, is that really what it came down to and the history of those pieces? I was really interested in how it made me feel. Mm. I mean, just looking at it took me someplace else. It just, I don't know, it made me think about new things. It just, it was so powerful to me. It um I, I didn't want to live without it. Mm, made a real I connection. To, yeah, I wanted to have it in my home. I wanted to just have art be a real part of my life. It was I re, the first time I remember that I bought a sculpture and I had it in my home. I got up in the night to walk around it. <laughs> I mean, to see it from all sides. It's mm. just, I don't know, was, art's very, it was very exciting to me. It's still very exciting to me. You mentioned early on that, you know, your household when you were younger, that there was no music, there was no art. Why no. was that, do you think? You know, um, 
my parents grew up in the Depression. I don't think they had a lot when they were growing up. And they were really concerned with making a living, providing education for their children. Hmm. I don't think this was something, unfortunately, that they were exposed to, so it wasn't something they thought about. They had portraits of my sister and myself from vacations. That Mm. was the art hanging in our house. (laughs) What did your mum do, by the way? She was a bookkeeper. Okay. So, um, yeah, they they were working. And they, um, when I was in college, I I gave them a picture. I, I bought a Chagall lithograph that was signed. I thought I had my bases covered. I wanted to explain to them what was important to me. Mm. And it was Jewish for my father and blue for my mother. <laughs> and they unwrapped it. And my dad looked at me just trying to understand. He said, baby, this is important to you, isn't it? And I said, yes. And he, my mother looked at it and she said, but it's not the right blue. She <laughs> seriously said that. <laughs> Why was blue important to your mom? Why was that the... It was just everything in the house was blue. Right. You know, she liked blue. Okay. But, I mean, yeah, that's... So they could, they just didn't get who who I was. Mm. Did there come a point, though, when your dad, your mom and dad accepted that this was, a, this was what you really wanted to do and that leaving medicine no. behind was okay? No. No. Um, <laughs> my father passed away quite young, and actually that was... Um, when he passed away, I thought, and who am I doing this science for? <laughs> um, I, I'm going to just pursue what I want to pursue. Mm. And and my mother, yeah, she she never could understand that I that she couldn't make me do what she wanted me to do. It <laughs> it wasn't happy. <laughs> She she um, did not accept that I wanted to pursue art. She would never come to my gallery. Mm. How did yeah. that feel she, at the time? Not very good. <laughs> no. No. And did we, she explain she come, why? No, no. She. I mean, it was clear why. You know, I. Um, I was I was strong. I had my own ideas, and I was going to follow them. And she could not sort of bend me to her will she just she couldn't control me and it Mm. made her angry where do you think that sort of desire to control you came from why why did they want to do that you know why do you i don't know what honestly guy i don't know why she wanted to do anything Mm. um i i really don't but i know that having that pursuing art wasn't her idea of what I should do Hmm. and that I was going to do it anyway and that she couldn't force me to not do it just made her crazy that she couldn't I mean she I don't even want to go into it okay so it it was difficult with your parents in terms of you pursuing that career but you then you mentioned that you did start your own gallery so how did that go in the early days when you when you went it alone um you know I, I opened my gallery in Washington I mean, it's really funny. I, I think that every time I want to do something, I just run in that direction <laughs> um, and make it happen. But I um, I had been selling art from my house, just little bits of art, very, you know, doing, doing well, but not making a lot of money. But I was talking to a dealer one day um, in Washington who was had a gallery right in 
this on P Street in Gal in near Dupont Circle, where all the other Washington Good Galleries were. And he, I said, you know, I want to have a gallery one of these days. I mean, I'd gone to his gallery a lot, and he was moving, and he wanted to unload his lease. Hmm. So he said, well, why don't you take this space? <laughs> I said, okay. <laughs> <laughs> And I went back and told my husband I was opening a gallery. He wasn't thrilled either. Um, <laughs> so was, was that was that scary I'm, taking that that big step? You know what? I, it wasn't. <laughs> I don't know why. I mean, it certainly should have been. It was just exciting. Hmm. I I was excited by what I was doing. I opened up. I had I called um, I called a critic because I had now this fabulous gallery space, but I didn't know any artists. I was pretty <laughs> new in town. And I called this critic and I said, listen, this is Diane Brown and I'm going to be a great gallerist, but I don't know any artists. Could you, could you introduce me? And, and did he they? said, not even for money. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh my God. So what did you do? <laughs> well, I um, painted the gallery. <laughs> I went to New York, and Marion Goodman had a had a business then called Multiples, and she published really great prints. So I bought a bunch of prints from Marion Goodman and, and came back to Washington and hung them in my newly painted gallery, and, and they were good. I mean, nobody could say they weren't good, right? Mm. They were just, they were master prints. Um, and so I sat there not knowing anyone to call. All the other dealers, on the, it was summer, and all the other dealers on the street were calling clients. And their artists were walking around trying to talk to their dealers, but their dealers were on the phone. So the artists would come in and talk to me. <laughs> and by September, I had artists. And they weren't all the artists I wanted necessarily, but I didn't take on anybody that I didn't think was interesting and good. And little by little, my gallery got better and better, and I got the artists I wanted. I was in Washington for seven years, mm. and and I um, was really ambitious for my gallery. And I, I in Washington, it was so conservative. One of the Washington major collectors took me out to lunch, and he said, you know, Diane, you belong in New York. <laughs> If you were in New York, I would be your client. <laughs> I thought, what? I mean, you could be my client here. <laughs> <laughs> but no, um, honestly, when I moved to New York, this guy became my client. It, it was—it's such a strange place, Washington. They have all these great national institutions, the National Gallery. Mm. Everything—the galleries are all free. They're all national, um, but there's no sense of chauvinism. It's not like Baltimore or Boston or anywhere else, Los Angeles, where it's our our galleries. You know, there's no sense of chauvinism or mm. pride in in the in local small businesses. So it was hard to um, do something ambitious there. And there were some really creative and talented people in the art world in Washington when I had my gallery there. And we used to all get together. It was very collegial and say, you know, we can make New York come to us. Well, we couldn't. <laughs> and was, so why was that? Is that all... just the, the sort of kudos of New York and the, you know, yeah. the, it just I was mean, impossible people, to escape that? People want to buy art in New York. Mm. They still do. Yeah. You know, there's something about buying art in New York. Um, so I came to New York. And I opened my gallery here. I should have been afraid then too, mm. but I was excited. <laughs> and where was that then? Where was where did your first site? Where was it in New York? In Soho. Okay. 
Yeah. And I um I opened up. I had some good some good artists, but my gallery I got better and better. Honestly, I think I have a, a very good eye. Hmm. Uh, my strength was choosing artists before anyone else was showing them and giving them their first show and hmm. building careers and I was really successful at that and it was a lot of fun for me to help an artist's career grow. Hmm. And are you still working with some of the artists that you started working with then? Yes, some of them. A lot of the artists that I really love aren't appropriate for RX art, which is I keep trying to figure out a way to make them appropriate for RX art. Hmm. But um I don't know, a lot of the work I showed was photo-based conceptual art. I showed a lot of sculpture. Hmm. It's not well. Our RX art um, doesn't show Disney princesses. No. Um, we we put art in pediatric hospitals, so it has to, it can't be something that's too dark. No. Um, and I, I want art that the kids and their families have to think about and something that will challenge them in a positive way. But mm. a, a lot of the artists I worked with don't translate well to RX art, but we're still friends. Mm. Um, I still love their work. I Some of them I have their work in RX art. Some, mm. of, some of them do work for me. So you mentioned RX art there. This is, of course, the, the company that you founded and, or the nonprofit that you founded, and which puts artwork into children's hospitals specifically, isn't it? And what, then, what gave you the idea to do that? Because you presumably then you ran your gallery in New York for a while, but then you made you had this moment where you decided to set up RXR. So how did that transition come about? I ran my gallery for nine years, and mm. then I closed it, and I um, was the curator of a private collection and a corporate collection. Um, the man whose collection I was curating, it was both his private and corporate collection, was a really fabulous collector, and he had he called me up and said, "Diane, I started a business, and I need some art, and I want you to come and talk to me." And this guy bought from everybody. When he would come into the gallery, the whole I was in a gallery building. He would buy from everybody. Everybody had a good month when he walked in. Do you know? <laughs> he was generous. He had a great eye, hmm. and he could have invited anybody to come and be his curator. I was so thrilled that he um, asked me he said you know the art that I bought from you I still love living with and it's worth a hell of a lot more than I paid for it <laughs> I want you to do the same for my company and so this was a dream job for an for an art dealer I mean to get to just buy the art you love and when he didn't understand or like something that I wanted to buy he would ask me about it and we'd talk about it and then we'd get it <laughs> It was incredibly exciting, and we built a great collection. Um, while I was working for him, I had a CAT scan. I had some medical issues, and I had to have a CAT scan, and mm. I was terrified. I was afraid they would find that what they were looking for, which for, fortunately they didn't. Mm. But it was just an unpleasant experience. The room was physically cold. The staff, I mean, I, I was just that moment's patient you know i was i was nothing hmm. um it was very dehumanizing and it was frightening and i wanted to get out of the room in the worst way i was lying on this gurney with an iv in my arm and a strap across me so i 
couldn't go anywhere. And the only avenue of escape I had was my imagination. And I imagined a painting going across the ceiling. And I, it was by Matthew Ritchie. And I got hmm. completely involved in his very complex iconography. And then the test was over. Hmm. And I thought, whoa, um, this is so powerful. I'd like to do this for other people. So um, I started talking to curators, collectors, critics, all my friends. Do you, do you think I can put museum-quality art in patient rooms and hospitals, hmm. not charge the hospitals, and pay the artists? And everybody said I was insane, <laughs> except for one person, Agnes Gund, who's a fabulous philanthropist and art collector. Hmm. And she said, try it. And I thought, oh, my goodness, if Aggie says try it, then that's great karma. I'm going to try it. <laughs> Um, this was really hard at first. I mean, mm. it, people knew me in the art world, but nobody in the hospital world knew me. Mm. And nobody wanted to give me a chance, and especially because my ideas weren't conventional. I didn't want to put a picture of a stream and a tree, you know, and a <laughs> Jacob's Ladder. Yeah. I, I just, that wasn't what I wanted to do. I wanted to put in things that, as I said earlier, were challenging in a positive way. Yeah. I wanted to put in things that were unexpected that, because it's my idea that if people see something that's unexpected, that they don't, maybe they don't completely understand, they'll take the time to examine this, mm. to look at it. And while they're looking at it and figuring it out that, or figuring out what their response is to it even, for those few moments, they're not in the hospital. Mm. And that was my idea, to take people out of the hospital in their imaginations, at least for a few minutes, to make it a place of imagination and inspiration rather than a place of fear. Mm. And also, I guess, then make the experience of what can often be a very stressful moment when people are in the hospital, it can make it a, a totally different experience. Absolutely, 100%, to, to take that experience. And, and and really, that's very much what RxR tries to do, to... Mm make the hospital experience something, or to make some element of it positive. Um, there are some projects we do, I don't, I'm probably getting all out of order, but um, we did a project at uh, Cedars-Sinai with where we had Urs Fisher, Sam Falls, and Laura Owens do um, create work for the ceilings and the headboard walls of the pediatric inpatient rooms. Mm. Urs' work has um, these splotches of color that you can't believe they're not three-dimensional. It's wallpaper because it's a hospital. But it's so masterful that we have some in our office. I keep touching it. I can't believe <laughs> it's not. it doesn't have texture. <laughs> and it also has all kinds of silly elephants on it. And there are children who un very unfortunately are must keep returning to the hospital. Mm. They have chronic problems or they have cancer. There's one reason or another they are frequently returning to the hospital. And the nurses tell me that they'll come in and say, can I have an elephant room this time? <laughs> I mean, you know, if there's one positive thing that they could look forward to, it's just fantastic. Yeah. And so how long was the, the sort of process then between having that idea and then having your first piece of art go up in a hospital? Um, about a year and a half. I started right away in my normal way of running 100 <laughs> miles an hour in the direction I wished to get. I just started, um, started uh, called a lawyer who was a client of mine, set up a 501c3, which is a nonprofit mm -hmm. in the U.S., and 
um, started raising money, and I started buying art that I thought was good for hospitals. Mm. Uh, never mind what they thought. <laughs> and I and nobody really wanted to hear from me. And one of my fabulous advisory board members uh, was a trustee emeritus of um, Rockefeller University. Mm. <clears throat> so he said to um, the to the hospital. You will let her try, basically. <laughs> you know, nice. give her three months. If the, if it doesn't work, she'll take it down. But give yeah. her a chance. So they said, fine. And then in the, just after they agreed, they got a new medical director. And he called me up and he said, hi, I'm the new medical director at Rockefeller University Hospital. And mm. I understand you want to put some art in, in our hospital. And I thought, <laughs> oh, I thought I was already approved. Yeah. And he said, I'd love to meet you. Mm. And he said, and my wife is a curator. And I thought, I'm going to kill myself. What could be worse than a curating <laughs> wife of a hospital, of a doctor, right? It's like a nightmare. And it's such a funny story because this medical director and his curating wife are dear friends of mine today. Oh, that's good. And we both tell the same story that I was horrified by the fact that she was going to be having some say in if I could put art there because I was sure she didn't know anything. <laughs> and she had said to her husband, oh, my God, somebody wants to put art in Rockefeller. David Rockefeller has some great art around here, and we can't let somebody put junk in. And how do I know if this person knows anything? Mm. She probably doesn't know anything. I'm coming <laughs> to dinner with you. So we were both so skeptical of the other. And we arrived before the doctor, and we're both, you know, just sort of, looking at each other yeah. and after a few minutes we just were so in sync and it's um anyway fantastic so was we, that the first yeah, hospital that you placed a piece yes, of art that was the first hospital and we put the art up there were so, there were some pieces i learned a lot i learned so much from this project hmm. i mostly learned that i didn't have all the answers <laughs> Um, I learned that my taste wasn't everybody's taste, mm. that the nurses lived with the art and I didn't. Yep. Um, so I had a little cough. They were pretty hostile in the beginning, and I'm sure it was my attitude that made them that way. But um, I had a, I, as the learning curve went, mm. I had a coffee and um slideshow with them. I had coffee, cookies, and slides. And I showed them all the work that I wanted to install and told them stories about the artists and why I chose each piece and told them, you know, comment, ask questions. If there's a piece you don't like, we won't install it. Mm. So at least giving them some ownership yep. and some say in the process. And there were pieces that they didn't want. And honestly, to this day, I can't figure out why, but it doesn't mm. even matter, right? Mm. They they were, they were, said, no, we don't want this piece. I said, okay, then we won't hang it. <laughs> so why and, were they resistant to, you know, the, you say they were hostile at first. Why were they hostile to the idea, do you think, at, at the start? I think it's just because I went in there with the attitude that this is my show. Mm. Um, I know what I'm doing. You stick to, to medicine, I'll stick to art. Sure. But that's definitely not the way to go. So that approach has changed, has it? Completely. <laughs> I mean, now part of RX art is that the hospital chooses the artist. Right. They don't choose the artist from all the artists in the world. We will make recommendations of the artist, artist or artists that we think are best for a project. 
And then with the hospital, we make a decision of what's best for their community and for that specific location. Mm. But they absolutely have the final say. Um, of course, we try to guide them because that's our job. Mm. But they're very involved in the process. And then they have um, they also approve the the art as it moves forward. So an artist will make preliminary drawings and that has to be approved by the hospital. Okay, so it's often original so, artwork that it's, it's done. Well, it's it's original artwork. As um, in it's done specifically for that purpose rather than being a, a piece of art that's already been made and then used. We don't use reproductions. Mm. But we do now, we do more and more site-specific work mm. and... Um, in some cases, we've inst- we've had an entire recreation room hand-painted, hmm. ceilings and walls, a 2,500-square-foot space. It took 10 guys working seven days a week, two months to do this space, hmm. um, according to the artist's very specific 3D model and plans. They had every square inch really mapped out, and it, it was an incredible process. Hmm. But um, generally... We have the uh, artist's drawings translated to wall covering because it's a hospital. Things get splashed on the wall that you can't imagine. Mm. Um, Carts get banged into the wall. The the work can get destroyed, and we need to be able to replace it if necessary. Mm. Also, walls get moved in hospitals. One of our early projects was painted, was a beautiful mural painted on the wall at Mount Sinai Hospital, in the bone marrow transplant unit, um, Jason Middlebrook painted a mural called Traveling Seeds. And it was a, pa- a patient who had been, whose life had been saved by a bone marrow transplant. He and his wife wanted to do something for the doctors and nurses that saved his life. <clears throat> so they wanted to do a mural around the nurses' station and around the outer edges, basically, of the bone marrow transplant unit. The patients were were so ill that we didn't we weren't going to do anything in patient rooms. Mm. It didn't make sense, but um, to do things right in the more public area of the bone marrow transplant unit. And he conceived this um, idea of doing a mural of traveling seeds, all the plants and flowers that had seed bearing pods in the New York area. Mm. And the, it started at the baseboard level, and it was really colorful and beautiful and hand painted plants and then above the chair rail you see the seeds being released and they're all different kinds of seed pods and they're floating through the air was really beautiful they everybody loved it the patients loved it so much they said could we have this in our rooms as well and because that didn't make any sense we had we commissioned the artists to do a series of prints based on the mural which could go in every patient's room Mm. um because we're a nonprofit, we have a 990 review every year just to be sure that we do have the art that we say we have and so on and so forth. What's a 990 and review, sorry? It's a review um, a tax thing that uh, okay. to make sure that a nonprofit is doing what it says it's doing. Yeah. So we have an audit. And our auditor was walking through the hospitals with me, looking, checking to be sure that the art that our records say we have was in fact there. And we go to Mount Sinai, and we I'm very excited to take him up to 11C, where this fabulous <laughs> mural is, and it's not there. <laughs> the wall is gone. Oh, no. Right. 
And that happens in hospitals. And now it's part of our contract. Sometimes a wall gets taken down. You know, hospitals, their main business is taking care of patients, not taking care of our art. (laughs) And... And sometimes they reconfigure for one reason or another. They're adding a nuclear medicine unit or they're they're changing the configuration in some way. And a wall comes down or a wall goes up. And mm-hmm. that impacts our, our work, especially when it's site-specific. So we've begun to do digital um, digital imagery now on, wall, on wallpaper. Sometimes we'll hang individual pieces. We did a project with William Wegman in Flint, Michigan, mm. where we have pictures that are dye sub they're his fabulous Weimaraner dogs on dye sublimated aluminum. So it's very stable and I think really hard to destroy. Um, and that's these individual pictures are hanging in um, the burn unit at Hurley Hospital in Flint, Michigan. Mm. But generally, we we steer away from you know individual pictures now. And have you been able to see then, you know, or be able to sort of observe the effect that it's had on patients, and has it had the effect that you thought it would have uh, in Absolutely. terms of those spaces? No, it's been fabulous. It's been fabulous for the staff, for the patients. We get so many comments um, from patients and staff thanking us and telling us how, you know, that it's a more cheerful place, hmm. that it's not so scary to go into the hospital. So it's, it's the, the comments and the kids' faces are fantastic. We'll take our artists into, into hospitals occasionally and meet with the kids and and their questions are fantastic. And mm-hmm. um, we did a project in the inpatient pediatric psych unit at Kings County in New York. And that's a rough hospital, and it's a very tough unit. Mm. These are little children that are hospitalized for psychological problems. Mm. And I was walking through a year after we installed the project with the person who funded it our really generous donor. And the head of the um, pediatric psych unit said to our generous funder, you know, this is the first time we've ever hung anything here that wasn't destroyed immediately. (laughs) I thought, wow, thanks for telling me that. (laughs) Yeah, you could have known that before. (laughs) You know, (laughs) now that I've spent her money. um, But he said the kids feel respected, that there's something there that somebody made for them mm. and it's something that they can relate to not pictures of haystacks in provence <laughs> but something that actually means something to these children and mm. they're they feel respected and so they'll destroy the wall but nobody touches the art <laughs> which is pretty cool yeah it must be you know an amazing experience to to see that sort of vision that you had in during that cat scan become a reality in all these different places now you know it's it's super exciting and a few years ago i was talking to agnes gund who was my original inspiration really the person who gave me the courage to start this and she was saying how much i'd done i said you know i just i feel like i'm treading water still i i don't feel like i've done enough Hmm. um i'm not really proud of this yet and in the last few years, I have to say that RxArt has grown so much. I have a killer staff now. I mean, I work with such great people. 
and everybody here, we're a little team, but everybody loves what they're doing and we believe in it and we work well together and it's allowed us to move so quickly. Mm. So we're doing at least five or six projects a year mm. instead of one or two. And they're getting more and more ambitious. And it's just so much fun to watch this grow. Mm. Are you still running your gallery alongside it? Or is this, this no, now everything no, you do? No, no, no. People ask me, do you do this full time? <laughs> I mean, are you kidding? <laughs> we do this seven days a week. Right. <laughs> We're very busy here. Yeah. Um, no, I don't. And I, I really thought I would die closing my gallery. Mm. Um, I never thought I would leave it and... Um, I I couldn't imagine anything giving me that kind of satisfaction. RX Art is just the best, the most exciting thing I've ever done, and I'm so profoundly grateful to be able to do this. It's mm. just after I had that CAT scan, I felt like I I wanted my being here to count, mm. um, to make a difference. And and I feel like we are making a difference with our XRD and and we've gotten to be a strong company now and so I it's it's exciting mm. it's exciting that um, I we're really here to stay so mm. fantastic yeah no it's, congratulations it sounds incredible um, I wanted just to ask you something about uh, a, a phrase that you've used a couple of times when we've been talking you you said that you know in several instances that you. Uh, decided to do something and then you you would run a hundred miles an hour towards that <laughs> That's goal my technique, yeah. <laughs> yeah. so where does is that something that you've done from a very early age is that just how you've always been and you know were you doing that yes. early on <laughs> yeah <laughs> where does that come from um a lack of common sense i don't know <laughs> i just i want to do something and i don't accept that it's not possible mm. I think that's why I can succeed at it. Um, I mean, I don't really understand not possible. <laughs> and do you think that that's served you well, you know, in, in terms of doing these things? Or do you think it's actually... Absolutely. Yeah. No, no, absolutely. How do you get anything done if you th are afraid to do it? Mm. <laughs> I'm and not afraid. What What is there something, do you think there'll be another thing that you'll be running 100 miles an hour towards? Or do you think... The RX art is is the thing that you're going to keep going with now. RX for... art is keeping me running. <laughs> <laughs> At top I speed. have so many things I can do with this project. I mean, we're starting to do some research. We're um, we're starting. We've started RX art Canada. Hmm. When I first started RX art, I wanted it to be intergalactic. <laughs> I mean, I thought there should be RX art in every city in the world. Well, it's been really a challenge. Um, starting RX Art Canada, mm. everything's different. I mean, you think we speak the same language. We don't even speak the same language. <laughs> we don't. Mm. So <laughs> it's been a challenge. It's been exciting. It's fun. It's the people in Canada are so genuine and so so very generous to us. Mm. It's in. A, it's a great experience, but it's also been difficult. Um, we're talking which is very exciting to me, to Chelsea and Westminster mm -hmm. about doing a joint research project. Right. So that would be very exciting. So um, bringing it to the UK, we're, potentially. You know, yes, we're talking about doing a joint visual project too. I mean, why not? Mm. So there's plenty to keep me busy. <laughs> 
And then I can keep running 100 miles an hour. Are you still running at 100 miles an hour, do you think? Yeah, I am. <laughs> <laughs> and what about your husband? Did you all move to New York when you got the gallery in New York? Uh, How did that work? No, we didn't. I, I moved, and I moved with my children. I got a divorce. Um, so I, I moved here by myself with my kids. Right. And what about your kids? I mean, are they interested in, in art too, or how are they? Awesome. What are they doing? They're awesome. They're both collectors. Right. Um, my daughter was the beauty director of Vogue for 15 years, and then she left and now has her own consulting company, Sarah Brown Advisory. And my son, Joseph, is the editor-in-chief of Popular Science. Right. So they're they're awesome. They, they're both writers. When they were growing up, I just didn't want them to be anything in the arts. <laughs> when my when my daughter was in going to college, she called me up and she said, Mom, I've declared a major. I knew she was very strong in French and I knew she wanted to be a writer. So I wasn't sure if she was going to declare English or French to be her major. I said, oh, what did you decide, baby? <laughs> she said, art history. <laughs> I said, and what exactly do you plan to do with that? <laughs> <laughs> she said, oh, excuse me. I thought I was calling my mother and she hung up. <laughs> and, and I called her back. I said, hey, Sari, I'm proud. I'm flattered. I'm frightened. Wasn't I enough of an example? <laughs> what do you plan to do with art history? And she said, Mom, what did you tell me college was good for? I said, I don't remember. It's not good for that much. She said, Mommy, you told me it was so I could have an interesting dinner conversation. <laughs> she said, and, and you will be able to. And she said, really, she said, I'm learning to read and write in Vassar's best department. I mean, just honing her skills. She was so right. Mm. And she loved it. And she became a French minor. And she's a superb writer. Mm. So she has it all. Did it feel My a strange son, sort of parallel when, you know, you ex you didn't <laughs> want her to be in, to, to, to do art history necessarily? I know. I know. Did I felt like feel such weird? a hypocrite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I used to, the family joke was that I would kiss my son goodnight when he was a baby and say, um, investment banker. <laughs> but, you know, they're going to be what they're going to be. They're both writers. They're both very creative. They're both very successful, and mm. they're both happy at what they do. So, mm. Why was wonderful. it, do you think, then, that, you know, because you've, so, you've loved it so much and you've, you know, achieved many things within the art world or in the creative world, why did you feel like, you know, you didn't want them to go down the same road? Was it because it felt like it was – a very hard world to be in? Yes, or, yeah. I felt like it was hard. I wanted things to be easier for them. Yeah. Um, but, you know, nothing's easy. <laughs> and everybody's going to follow their passion, which yeah. is as it should be. But as a mom, you want your kids to be successful, happy, and not have a hard time. <laughs> yeah. And so they, they both have followed their passions now. Absolutely, yeah. Good. I'm glad to hear it. Now, I'm yeah. going to ask you, I'd like to ask you three questions to finish that I ask uh, everybody uh, who comes on the, the podcast. So the first one is, is do you have uh, like a daily routine, uh, a set of things that you do every day to get you in the right frame of mind or a set of things that you do every day in, in terms of um, how the, in terms of RXR or is just every day completely different? Every day is different. I mean, I get up in the morning early, mm. I go to the gym, have breakfast, read the paper, come to work, and I mean, we check our emails, but every day is different. Mm. Some days we go 
to a site. I mean, last week I was in California um, with an installation. Sometimes, you know, we travel, we are on the phone problem solving. I mean, there's every project is different. And one of my board members asked me to write a page of learnings. And I laughed. I said, a page? We're writing a book. <laughs> I mean, we really, it's, we learn from every project, which is great. Mm. But then we think, okay, we've got this. But we don't. <laughs> there is something surprising every week. But it, we're never bored. Mm. And it's fun to problem solve. And we don't make that mistake twice. Mm. You mentioned that you go to the gym. Is that every day you go to the, the gym first thing? Almost every day. And do you find that helps I, I you too? I try to go every day. Today that, I didn't. It's too early. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Does that help I you just, to to achieve what you want to achieve? Yes. It just it gets me in a good frame of mind. It, I feel like I need to keep moving my body to keep moving my brain. Hmm. All part of the hundred miles an hour thing, potentially. Right. Exactly. <laughs> okay. And then second question then is when you look back over everything. Um, in terms of your career and all the things that you've done, what's the, if there is one thing, what is the, the thing that you're sort of most proud about when you look back, you know, you think, yeah, that was a really, really important, really proud moment to have achieved that. I think I'm really proud of building RxArt. I mean, I, I don't think that there's one project. People always ask me what my favorite project is. Mm. My favorite project is always truly the one I'm working on now. Mm. I mean, they just, are, everyone is so exciting to me, and they're, everyone is more exciting than the last. <laughs> and I love working with the artists. They're all phenomenal. They're incredible people. And RxArt pre-selects, really, for really generous and good people because we pay the artists an honorarium, and it's so, it's not insignificant for us but for the kind of artists that we're working with it is insignificant it's a little token of saying we so respect and appreciate your talent your time your generosity mm. um they could make this money in 10 minutes in their studio and instead they spend a year or more working on projects with us mm. so i'm i'm really proud of the artists that we've put together of the projects we do I'm proud of the difference we're making for kids in hospitals and for their families and staff. And I, I really, with all my heart, believe we're making a difference. Okay. And finally then, what are you um, enjoying uh, right now? So this could be like, it could be an artist or it could be a book or a piece of music or, you know, an album or something on TV or a movie. What, what have you r really enjoyed sort of creatively very recently? Honestly, I mean, I don't know if this sounds stupid, but I, it took me a long time to put together <clears throat> the right staff. And there are just three of us in the office. Mm. But I work with two women who are so creative and smart. I feel like they make me better every day. Um, I just, I love our team. <laughs> it's fun to work together we also enjoy going to things outside of the office together i'm working on a project right now in um orange county which is extremely challenging i'm gonna love when it's finished <laughs> <laughs> why is that just because it's so challenging it's been it's so big it's four huge corridors hmm. um <clears throat> each 125 feet long um 
and it's imagery of every every bit of the corridors is wallpapered with different imagery. It's a narrative of a seascape with animals, with orcas and um, seals and 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 birds, seabirds, with penguins, with I don't know everything. <laughs> um, panda bears get in there, dogs and cats. But it's um it's a very long and gorgeous narrative. Also the um, the waiting room. Is every inch of that is covered in this narrative story, and also the CAT scan. We did the machine, which is fabulous. It looks like you're entering a life-saving a lifesaver. Those little red tubes. Mm. It, it looks like you're entering a lifesaver instead of a CAT scan machine, mm-hmm. and the whole room is decorated. It's such an ambitious project. Um, it's been really challenging. It's been challenging for a million reasons, but. <laughs> But it's almost finished, and I'm going to be thrilled. <laughs> Already, we're getting comments, even though it's it's about two thirds done. Mm. And I we got um, an email last night from <clears throat> one of the hospital attorneys, actually, who had an emergency with his child and was in this radiology unit, and said we were so scared, but he was so excited about the art on the walls. <laughs> so you know, it's just. I'm enjoying what I'm doing every day and really grateful that I can do this. Mm. Well, it must be amazing to hear that, um, you know, from someone who's really, really experiencing the the vision that you saw or thought you you could be able to see in the future. So, yeah, and that sounds amazing. Good luck with that big project. It sounds... Thank you. Thank you guys so much. And thank you very much for talking to me on the podcast, Diane. I really appreciated it. Really enjoyed it. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Hi, it's Guy again. Thanks for listening to this latest episode of Creative Forces. I hope you enjoyed it. Just a quick word at the end of this episode, because you now, if you like what you hear with the podcast, you now have the opportunity, if you wish, to help to fund it. Now, at the moment, Creative Forces is a fortnightly affair, uh, but what I'd love to do in the future is to do it more frequently. And so, yeah, looking for funding... It's very much an optional thing. If you like what you hear and you want to help, great. If you don't, don't worry about it at all. Please continue enjoying the podcast. If you do want to find out more, though, we I now have a, a Patreon page for the uh, podcast. And you can find it at Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash creative forces pod. That's Patreon.com forward slash creative forces pod. If you do decide you're in a position to help fund the podcast, there are various rewards on offer, uh, including exclusive uh, bonus content, which only um, people who help to fund the podcast will get. Any help you can give would be most welcome. But as I say, don't worry about it if you can't. Please help. uh, Please go on enjoying the podcast, uh, liking and subscribing if you can. Um, But yeah, thanks for listening. See you soon.